welcome to the Bucket List Gamers podcast and also to 2024. This is our first recording of the new year. I'm Jay and I'm once again joined by Eddie. Hello. And after our little break, we are back to uh, talk about more games. Hopefully you enjoyed the awards show. Probably not going to enjoy this one quite as much. At least I, I certainly aren't going to enjoy it as much. Because today we are finally looking at Shenmue and Shenmue 2. Shenmue is number three unbelievably, on the uh, retro gamers list. Came out in 1999 for Dreamcast. And Shenmue 2 is 16, came out in 2001. It claims for various platforms, but we're not quite sure what they are. So we're just going to say for Dreamcast as well, I think, for that one. And, yeah, it's fair to say I've not been looking forward to playing these games. And now that I've played them, I think I'm completely vindicated in why I wasn't looking forward to them. Because they are f- Dog <laughs> And I don't say that lightly, and I know there's people out there that love these games, and fair enough, I suppose. I don't see it, but fair enough. But I will, ex- well, I'm sure Eddie will as well, but I will explain all the reasons why I hate it. And I, for years, I've never played it, and I honestly thought, oh, it's, it's meant to be like one of the best games ever, and it looks quite interesting, blah, blah, blah. And Eddie kept telling me it was awful, and I wouldn't believe him. And I'd say 10 minutes into it, I fully understood why he was saying these things. And four or five hours into it now, I can safely say, if I never turn it on again, it'll be too soon. <laughs> I did warn you. <laughs> Go on, I'll let you go first and then I'll explain all the reasons I hate it. I think, like you say, it is widely regarded as one of the best video games of all time. And you do just look at it and wonder, A, have the people that are saying this ever played another video game? (laughs) Because I'm assuming this was their introduction to gaming and then they've still got a Dreamcast and just haven't moved on. (laughs) Because it wasn't even good at the time. I can't... It's schizophrenic in what it tries to pack in and it doesn't gel very well. And for me, the biggest sort of step up onto the podium before it puts the little noose around its neck so it can kick the block from under its feet and let it hang itself is the fact that it introduced QTEs to video games, which are some of the worst introductions into gaming history ever. Yeah, I think Resident Evil 4 gets a lot of stick for that and yeah. it wasn't the first, was it? It, it wasn't the first to nope. do it by any any stretch. And I think there's only one game I like with QTEs and that's Until Dawn and that is purely because of how story-driven it is and it sort of works. But in this I mean, I didn't trigger many of them in the five hours that I played on it but the ones that I did trigger I actually did pretty well on which I was surprised because I was also I was I didn't dig my Dreamcast out. Full disclosure on this one, I did play it on a PC with an Xbox controller. Very glad I did, and I'll explain why in a minute. But yeah, the the fact that it was popping up buttons that weren't on the controller and I was still hitting the QTEs, I was quite impressed with myself. I don't even know where to start on why it's so bad. And and like I say, if you love this game, fair enough, whatever you get out of it. I mean, I've got a couple of mates that absolutely love it and like, oh, I'd spend hours doing the forklift truck driving bit and earning money. And I was like... Would you do that in real life? I'm like, no, I wouldn't be a forklift truck driver. I was like, why are you enjoying it on there then? Because it's not. Why do you want to live out a more mundane life than you've already got in a video game? You meant to play this for escapism and fun. 
not to do more boring stuff. So, I mean, to start off with, loaded it up. Immediately, the controls are an issue. It's tank controls, which sort of works in Resident Evil because it's all fixed cameras. So wherever you move, you've got a fixed point of direction, haven't you? So you push the stick and and your character goes that way. Whereas this is a camera that follows you around. So if you walk towards the camera and the camera spins behind you, you then immediately walk back towards the camera and it spins around again. And you end up in like a big loop of just spinning around. And it just makes you nauseous. I mean, I know we've said that I get motion sickness with some games. This one was pushing me close in the way that the camera works. So the, the second issue is the camera, because it is so close to the main character's, like the back of his head, it's unbelievable. It's in it. It's like you can just about yeah. see his scalp and then like a quarter of the world in front of him, and that's it. Especially if you're in a building where it's really tight and claustrophobic, and it starts you in a building that's really tight and claustrophobic. It, so it took me ten minutes to get outside when I first started playing it, getting used to the controls. And then it's just depressing from there on out. You see his dad get murdered with a punch to the kidney, which was very impressive to murder someone with one single punch to the kidney, but there you go. He holds up the main character at one point, the main villain, and then puts his fingers out like this, which I appreciate you at home can't see. But if Eddie can see what I'm intimating by this, but the way he puts his fingers out suggests he's going to do something a lot different than kill him. And then he drops him on the floor. Then you you walk around this depressing village of like mannequin people who <laughs> nearly all say the same thing to you unless they're relevant to the plot. So the first people you meet are two kids, and the first kid's like, Hey mister, wanna play? in this like really horrible voice. <laughs> that sounds sort of like aching of a horror film. And then like every other kid you meet in the whole game will say the same line and then he'll fob them off in the same way. And I appreciate they, they wanted to make this world, didn't they, where everyone was interactable, all the shops were interactable. This is what it says in the Retro Gamer book. And that's ambitious if you're going to put the effort in to make them all worth interacting with. Yeah. But it, it's a chore to talk to someone in the first place because you have to line yourself up perfectly until the A button comes up so that you can interact with them. And then you've wasted 30 seconds doing that for them to say some stock line in a really bad dub. And then you just walk off and do it again to 200 other people and just keep repeating it. Yeah, the the thing that gets me... So firstly, Yu Suzuki, who's the creator, has openly said he doesn't play video games which is unusual for a creator who dabbles in that medium because a lot of other people, like um, a lot of auteurs in terms of video gaming, um, like Hideo Kojima, they play video games actively so that they can see the latest introductions to stuff and cherry-pick bits out of it to go, oh, that might work in this sort of game, or oh, that's a really interesting spin on things. I wonder if I can do a different twist on it. Yu Suzuki apparently doesn't doesn't even watch them, watch let's plays or anything like that, just won't go anywhere near them and you know when you just look at something and go yeah you can f- <laughs> tell um because <laughs> you load the game up and even the, the the intro screen where you press start and open your options menu is hideous it's just this red smeared awful font that 
could say Shenmue, but it could say sneezing at the same time <laughs> because it's so bad. It's so sort of archaic and scrawly on this really pixelated blue swirly background. And you just go, God, I've got a headache before I even press start. I thought I'd got some sort of bootleg copy of it when I first put it on because it it's like clouds it's like heaven with Shenmue written over the top of it and this in no way indicates what this game is about to be yeah it I mean the the name Shenmue is something like the life tree or something like it translates to so it's all he's obviously gone for this sort of poncy arty Japanese director of a martial arts drama, which is what it professes to be. It professes to be a martial arts drama. And the first game's something ridiculous, like 40 hours long. And you don't do anything in it. My nearest comparison is to Majora's Mask, because you've got that clock town for Majora's Mask in particular. So you've got the initial setup, you've got people who have schedules that they follow to, and if you want to progress certain things in the plot you need to find that specific person where they are at a specific time that is great in Majora's Mask because the time mechanic is you it's about 20 minutes to do a day this I think operates on pretty much standard time and the only way to progress it faster is by listening to music and the music ain't that great so you've got you get a walkman, I think, and you can progress the time. But it doesn't progress it you can't time jump sort of thing to a specific time of day. It literally just progresses time a bit faster. And like you say, when you're wandering around wanting to meet this colourful cast of characters, and each one could have been made by Geppetto, because they are literally like <laughs> Captain Scarlet puppets. They are so wooden and they just stand there like little good robots just don't want to move in case the hinges creak or something <laughs> like that. And they just it's like they you give them an input and they just process it and spit out the exact same output of, hello Rio, wave hand, how are you today, <laughs> nod head? <laughs> how about that dastardly villain, eh, shake fist? And it's just like, Jesus Christ, this this isn't even entertaining anymore. I mean, the first hour and a half or maybe two hours I played it, the amount of times I heard the phrases, on the day of the incident, did you see a black car? And, oh, the day when the snow turned to rain. (laughs) I must have heard those three phrases about 200 times, all from different people. None of them had any valid information for me, so I just had to keep going. And then in the end, I just found a, a slot machine place. And as most people will know about me, I like a good slot machine. So I just spent a good half an hour just playing the slots in there, hit the jackpot and managed to get some some decent amount of money. And then it whisked me off home. Like I weren't even allowed to carry on about my day. I must have hit a time limit. So it whisked me off home. And then I got up the next morning and my mum had a go at me for uh, not getting home early enough the night before. And I was like, what difference does it make? So that immediately put my back up. But yeah, the the depressing levels just keep going. So his dad dies, and then he tries to go out. Immediately, the first person you meet tells you about a cat that got run over and killed. (laughs) 
all oh, right, well, we'll just keep going, shall we? And then there's an abandoned kitten just to, to throw into the mix that no one will take responsibility for. So this child is keeping it in a box in like a cemetery or something. Just don't take it home. Not allowed to take it home. Just keeping it in a box. And then the first big decision of the whole game you get to make is whether you want to feed it some small fish or some like soy cracker or something. And I didn't know what the control was to choose, so I accidentally picked soy cracker and it didn't eat it. So for all I know, I've ruined my ending now because that might be integral to the plot. (laughs) And I just, yeah, I didn't get on with it at all. It's just so clunky. And to talk about the controls again, what I was saying about I'm glad I played it on an emulator with an Xbox controller. And I'm not breaking the law because, as we all know, I own a copy. I paid over the odds for a bloody copy that's now going to sit in the loft and never get used forevermore. On the Xbox controller, I had to remap the controls to make it playable for me. So I remapped the walking onto the left analog stick and the looking around onto the right analog stick, as you get in most games today. Because on a Dreamcast controller, you walk around with the D-pad, which is below the thumbstick of the left hand, and you look around with the analog stick, which is above that. So you, unless you turn the pad upside down, you can't play this like you would a normal walking game. You have to walk, get into a position where you're like walked where you want to go. Oh, I don't want to be looking that way. Take your thumb off the walking control, move the viewing control around until you're looking where you want to go, then start walking again. I can't imagine ever playing it like that. Like, how did people even tolerate it on the Dreamcast? Because it was bad enough playing it on the control setup I had. And that was like 10 times easier than what they must have tolerated back then. Yeah. Um, and and then people praise stuff like, like you say, praise the um, the mini game with the uh, forklift where you lift boxes for, a, for like a, hours on end. And it's like, the controls are just as bad, if not worse, for the, control, <laughs> the forklift sections. And people while away hours. It's like, why don't you just sit and watch paint dry? It'd probably be cheaper. I just don't think they got any aspect. It's like they went right, because that is what they did, isn't it? They went right, we want to make a game that's got all these different elements. So you've got a bit of fighting, you've got racing, you've got a life sim, you've got a thing where you can talk to everyone and interact with everything. And rather than focusing on one of them and doing it good, they've just done all of them badly. Like the fighting, which I thought, oh, maybe the fighting's going to be the saving grace of it, and this is what they focused all their energy. No, the fighting's just as bad as all the rest of it, with like a load of combos that you can learn that barely ever work. And yeah, it's because it's made by Sega, isn't it? And it's the the combat is loosely based on Tekken. Was it not Virtual Fighter? Sorry, Virtual Fighter. Yeah. So it's it, so it's a franchise that they own. So they obviously have like roots in that sort of game, and they've just gone. Well, we could just make it Virtua Fighter, but uh, you know, and then just sort of staple a uh, loose plot over the top of it. But now we'll just make that <laughs> as well. It is. It's like Virtua Fighter is not the best fighting game, but for its time, no. it's playable. And it's it Virtua Fighter was the one with the ring outs, wasn't it? So it added that. Yeah. That was the first one to do ring outs. And it's playable, and I used to enjoy Virtua Fighter back in the day. But this is not a good version of Virtua Fighter. <laughs> and and like even that, which they had, they didn't have to change it. They could have just used the code from Virtua Fighter and built this game around it, like you say. But they chose to break that as well and make it worse than its original form. 
and it just for me it doesn't work at all there's there's a couple of aspects i liked about it i like the fact that you can go to arcades and stuff and it's you can while away the time doing that i liked the fact that there were gacha machines that you could use and, and and i spent most of my money on them to be fair so if there's a bit further on in the plot where i need a lot of money i'm screwed because i don't have any capital to start i'll be down the docks for hours earning some money as well but yeah you got like little say you get sonic figures and you get virtual fighter characters out of some of them and stuff like that don't you and it's they're pointless but it's a nice little collectible and it's cool to see what you're gonna get much like in real life but i mean i'm struggling for anything else positive to say other than that and when you're talking about a game that's as beloved as this and all i can say is i like that there's a gacha machine in there it's not the best endorsement of it no it just feels like it's an asset flip Someone has found loads of coding for games that they like, and they've gone, oh, if I stitch all these together, everyone loves these games. I'll, I'll be a millionaire. And they've stitched it together, but they've done it in such a bootleg <laughs> fashion that none of it fits well. And the only way to increase your strength or your ability in the game is to stand punching trees and stuff like that and just practice your combos. And then... One of my friends, when we were in college, used to love this game and used to play it for hours. And he got to a point where there's this gang leader who knows something and he has a piece of information and you challenge him to a fight and he kicks the f*** out of you. So what you then need to do is you need to go away and train. And there's like one of those wise old senseis that's in a hut near the evil guy's lair sort of thing. And he says, oh, I've got a masterful technique that I can teach you. But he requires you to pay him a large sum of money. So you end up going away, whiling away your hours, lifting crates for hours on end. Pay him the money. He teaches you this technique. You wander up with confidence because you obviously think, right, this is a set piece of. I need to go to this guy. He will teach me this technique and only this technique can beat the bad guy. You learn this technique. You walk up to the boss leader and he kicks the shit out of you again. And you just go, I officially don't know what you want from me anymore, game. I am giving up. <laughs> it's just, it, I'm glad I didn't get that far, to be fair, because it, it was frustrating me so much just in the couple of hours I played it. There's too much as well. I mean, it's not yeah. huge, the environment, but you assume that there's like, because there's properties all over, because it's like a proper little town, isn't it? You walk around when you first get there. And you think, well, there must be something in one of these buildings that I need to do. And there's like a block of flats. So I'm walking around this block of flats, and every single door I went to is like, knock, knock, there's nobody in. Does nobody live? Is it a ghost town? Because every single house I've knocked on, there's not been anyone in. And I presume at some point, somebody will go, oh, you need to go and speak to so-and-so who lives in flat 2B. And then when you go there and knock on, there'll be somebody there that can talk to you. But it's just, you don't know that going in. So I was going around knocking on everything. And then I just thought, <laughs> this is pointless. And another thing as well, I know I'm jumping about from point to point, but it's just it's all springing back into my mind as I'm remembering the awful hours I spent with it. People just getting your way all the time as well, <laughs> yeah. and there's no there's no mechanic to like move them. You can't push into them and they move. They just stubbornly stand in the way until they decide they want to be somewhere else. So in the house, when the the old woman, I assume she's your mum, the old woman that's pottering about the house just decided to stand at the top of the stairs to go outside and wouldn't move. So I had to just stand there for like 10 minutes. I don't know if she's on a set path 
and I just got unlucky yeah. or what. But she just, and I was like, right, so I just wait then. And then I went into the town and there was a guy in a little hut that I needed to speak to. I think he was selling seafood or something. And he's got some information that I need to hear. And then there's this old bag just stood in front of him, not interacting in any way. They were both just stood there staring stock still. And I was like, well, I want to talk to him. But every time I tried to initiate conversation, I spoke to her, or it might have been an old bloke. <laughs> and then they were like, I haven't, uh, I'm too tired for this today. I don't want to speak to you. And I was like, well, I don't want to speak to you either, but you're in the way. And then I'd, I'd press it again, and then he'd do the same stock line. But it almost does it like a cutscene, doesn't it? So it's not like you yeah. can get through it quickly. It like zooms in, and the black borders come down, sort of thing. And it does a little talk, and then it, and and the fact you can't skip cutscenes or dialogue or anything as well uh. really irritated me because I get locked in this bit of dialogue that was quite long, and I'm like, I've already heard this one, so I don't want to do it again. And then you just can't get out of it; you just sit there and wait. And it just, yeah, it beggars belief that I can sort of see why some of it's programmed like it is because of the age of it and it was a new thing to do and they were finding the feet with it. But again, I don't get who played through this before it got released and went, oh, do you not think you might want to put a skip button in because this is getting a bit boring? Or do you not think you might want to put in like one of those, it's like in Stardew Valley is the closest example I can think. You have a dog on your farm in Stardew Valley or a cat or whatever animal you pick. And if it gets in your way and you push into it long enough, you can physically just like shuffle it out the way. Yeah. Did you not think to implement something like that in this where you could gently nudge people out of the way of where you want to be? Because it's so infuriating, <laughs> especially when they stand in doorways and you want to go through it and they're just stood there not moving. Yeah, I think the nearest thing I can compare it to really is like a really poor man's version of Yakuza. So the Mm. Yakuza series is very similar in terms of life sim and then the fighting combat and stuff like that. It is a polished version of this. But then I've just looked at the wiki breakdown in terms of the story of Shenmue 1 and it is summarised in two paragraphs. (laughs) And the thing, you take hours getting... and. The first half of the first paragraph is explaining that your dad dies because of this jade mirror that the bad guys come for. Let me see if I can summarise it. it based, on, based on my experience, I'll guess the rest of it. Weird man breaks in, threatens your dad. Threatens to s*** his up your ass at one point. Kills your dad by punching him in the kidneys once. You walk round for a good few hours asking about a black car and the specifically on the day that the weather changed from snow to rain, because that's really important, allegedly, you go about your business, you eventually find him, and then you don't beat him, I assume, and then the game ends. That would be my guess. It, it, it's even shorter than that. <laughs> so the first paragraph is you basically, as you say, man comes in asking about a mirror, kicks the shit out of your dad, threatens to kick the crap out of you, and they dig up the mirror, they bugger off, and then, so there's a really long intermediary bit where you're obviously searching around for the car and stuff like that, and as you get through these bits, as you find out a bit more about the car, eventually (laughs) the old lady that you live with mentions, oh, I think one of those lads was a sailor. Oh, (laughs) f***, 
fucking thanks, <laughs> Mom. <laughs> you could have mentioned this earlier. I've, I've spent the last nine hours wandering around this local village that's about 40 miles from the sea. Thank you very much. Talking to people, asking them if they saw a black car, and you went, oh, I think one of them's a sailor. <laughs> I could have started at the harbour. How did she know this as well? None of them in, have any indication that they're a sailor. Like, And also, while we're on the subject, it's not a mirror either is it <laughs> they keep talking about this mirror it's like a jewel encrusted disc there's nothing reflective yeah. about it and uh, my favorite bit as well is on that in that beginning cutscene where he, he threatens you and your dad the dad's like i'll literally never tell you where it is and then he picks you up and does the two digit thing and his dad's obviously worried about the, the state of your uh, rear end so he's like i'll tell you it's buried under the tree just tells him straight away doesn't even think about it <laughs> then the guy kills him, kills him before they've even checked. I was like, well, he could be lying. <laughs> like, he could have just told you it was on this tree to throw you off the scent. And then the best bit is, he he at no point goes and tells anyone else it's under the tree, I don't think. And then this guy yeah. runs in like less than a minute later and goes, we found it, we dug it up. He's like, what did you have? Like a digger sat outside waiting to go and dig this tree up. Because unless he just like chucked a few leaves over it, it would have took you longer than that to dig it up. And no one told you to go and dig it up anyway. I mean, I was, I was, thank, I was thankful because it kept the cutscene shorter. We didn't have to wait for him to dig it up for another five minutes, which I'm surprised they didn't implement. But yeah, just go on. And, <laughs> and then you go down to the docks. You learn that is the mirror is one of two mirrors. You find the second mirror under your dad's dojo, and I am saying all this with no shame or compunction at all. <laughs> I do not care if I am spoiling this for anybody because the only people that like this game have already played it. No one who want who is thinking about playing this game will want to play it by the end of this. <laughs> so yeah, and then you find it beneath your father's old dojo down by the docks. Not a good place to live, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, you find out that your master then tells him that he need, you need to seek the aid of another master who lives in Hong Kong, and you board the, the boat to China. End of f***ing game. That's it. That could have been done in an hour. I really wish that, could that have been they in... hadn't, hadn't got a sequel commissioned, because that would have been fantastic if they'd never made a Shenmue 2. <laughs> I mean, it would have been fantastic because then we wouldn't have had to have played it, but it would also have been fantastic because there'd have been thousands of people around the world clamouring to know what happened in Hong Kong and then it just never progresses. Well, they kick-started three. Did they? Oh. Genuinely, I think it was 2018's um, E3. They announced one of the things that uh, Sega walked out onto the stage to announce was Shenmue 3's kickstarting. and you just go, one, that's not an announcement. <laughs> the amount of things that have kickstarters. And two, it's it's not yours, Sega. Surely you could bankroll this. You don't need to kickstart it. If it's such a beloved franchise, why do you need to kickstart it? Like I can understand it for smaller niche games that wouldn't get another entry. Like when the guys who made Dizzy, they tried to do a Kickstarter to get a new game going because it's like that's mainly blokes who played on Commodore sixty fours and Ataris in their bedroom like thirty years ago that would yeah. be interested in that. But Shenmue was meant to have this huge, all-encompassing love for it, and yet they had to go to crowdfunding. I mean, I assume it funded incredibly well, because it got made, obviously, but I'm assuming it smashed its goal because all these fervent Shenmue fans went and backed it. But I assume 3 plays better. I assume three's not tank controls and 
a floaty camera that's in the back of your head and stuff, but it's not on the list, so I didn't look at it. No, it. I mean, it was relatively recent, so it came out 2019, and I don't think the plot ends. Again, oh, it spends three games quite busily going nowhere, and the graphics look no different, so the characters still all look <laughs> like they've been carved out of wood. <laughs> and it it just doesn't look good, and and people have kickstarted this, and I'm I'm only assuming they must have been disappointed. But I mean, how much did it raise? Let me have a look. The the summary of it is: you can still earn money through mini games such as gambling, wood chopping, and forklift driving. So they've literally not changed any aspect of it. It raised $6.3 million, which is the most a video game has ever raised on Kickstarter. But I would argue that's also because most games don't use Kickstarter when they're as big as that. Yeah, when they're, when they're owned by someone like Sega. I, <laughs> I don't think they do crowdfunding that much, really. It's usually like indie. Can you imagine if Bethesda were like, right, Fallout 5, we need you to raise 60 million on Kickstarter, please, and then we'll start working on it. Oh, no. No, it's, I think it's it's still tank controls. Oh, so they've literally not changed anything and slightly done the graphics up a little bit. Which is what some people probably wanted because they've got that level of nostalgia for it. But, I mean, no one would buy Shenmue 3 without playing 1 and 2, I assume, because the story carries on anyway. So they know their audience, and fair play to them for that. But full disclosure, I didn't even play 2 because I got I got like 6-7 hours into 1, hated it, messaged you and went, does 2 get any better? Like, does it control any better or anything like that? You're like, no. I'm like, well, I'm not touching it then. Forget it. I'm not... I'm not potentially committing piracy to play a game I already know I will actively hate. Yeah. So I just left it. But one was enough. One was plenty enough for me to judge these games. I think it's fair that we combine them together, like we have done with other games on the list. (laughs) They ain't getting a separate score. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Just before we do give them a score, though, the voice acting, let's just loop back to that. I mean, people (laughs) were... People were saying to install the like Japanese voice pack when I was because I had an issue getting it running initially, and people were like make sure you install the Japanese voice pack, and I was like I don't want that, and now I realise why because the English voices range from somebody who sounds like they're clinically depressed when they're not meant <laughs> to be to somebody who sounds like they should be in a horror film. They're that terrifying. And I don't know if it was all like a couple of people and they just synth their voices, but the kids sound horrific and the old people sound horrific. The the old women sound like if, if you went up to a woman on the street, which is weird anyway, that you're just approaching all these people and asking them about a black car when they're just going about the day. But to go up to an old woman on the street, if any if you went up to a real old woman and they spat out a voice like some of them do, you'd have nightmares. You'd run home and never leave the house again for fear that the town was full of <laughs> demons or something because they're horrible. And and I don't get why that is because I assume it's because they've had to cram it so much to get it all on. But it's three discs, isn't it? So it shouldn't yeah. be crammed that much. I know audio files back then were, were quite revolutionary, weren't they, on a Dreamcast to get voice in a game. So there was that, but... If you're going to split it onto three discs, and the Japanese ones don't sound weird, they just sound normal. So why does the English dub sound so strange? 
Yeah, it, it comes back to that whole thing of he's he's obviously never played a video game. So I'm assuming he went through all the recommendations of what he wanted of his vision for it. And the, the plot is woeful and the <laughs> scripting, it's not just the voice acting, the scripting is bad. So even when you've got it in Japanese with the subtitles, you sort of need that to give it that sort of cultural distance mm. of... Because the Japanese are a little bit weird, bless them. And you do watch sort of those old martial arts dramas that are badly dubbed, where the mouth keeps flapping after the words are finished. And you do have that slight cultural difference and you can sort of go, oh, that's because they, they sound like this or they're talking like this because they're Japanese and that's the culture. So you do need that sort of distance, whereas if it's the English dub, it's just screechy and horror. And the kids, Jesus, I wanted to kick the kids in the head. <laughs> I assume the people that did the voiceover weren't natively English speaking. And that's where part of the problem comes from because they put all the emphasis on the wrong syllables and sentences and stuff. Yeah. And it just, it, it sounds like, like you said, watching, like, for example, something that most people probably will have watched. If you watch Squid Game with the English voices instead of the Korean voices, it seems really stilted and weird, like the way that, and what they're saying isn't strange. It's just the way it's delivered because you've got somebody translating it who probably isn't a native English speaker and doesn't get the parlance of where the the like, accent should be on words and stuff. So it, it comes across very like abrupt, doesn't it? And do 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 and that's it. You get the like the main point of it. Whereas if you understood Korean, they're probably speaking a lot more nuanced than what the dub actually lets on. And I think that's the same for this. But it just comes across strange and then the voices are strange in general. If you take away what they're saying, even if they were saying normal sentences, they're weird. So yeah. it's just you get that double whammy of they're speaking in a really weird voice that sounds like somebody's putting a voice on and they're saying something that doesn't make a hundred percent sense. And like you say, you almost want that Japanese voice to come out the screen just so you can sort of go well that's just a bit of a bad translation at the bottom but because you're getting it in English you assume it's meant to be accurate and it, it isn't um, and I think when Eddie said there that the Japanese are a bit weird we just want to preface because we do have a few Japanese listeners um, I think it was more quirky you were going for like a quirky culture yeah. isn't it the, the, the <laughs> culture is is very quirky and some of the stuff that they like as as just a cultural norm from a Western perspective is just what? Yeah. I mean, it's just very diaper cafes. Odd. I think yeah. diaper cafes sum it up because, like, that <laughs> if you opened one of them in England, you'd get committed. And they're, like, really popular, <laughs> aren't they, in Japan? Yeah. It, it, I mean, Japanese culture is slowly starting to seep in over here you do get stuff like cat cafes which were mm. a japanese invention um, you do get them more prevalent and japanese style video gaming is becoming more prevalent and more popular and more accepted because it used to be like a real outlier if it was a yeah. proper japanese japanese game it was usually like it was restricted to Japanese consoles only because the weird the the boring normal westerners won't get it. 
Whereas now you get more stuff like, um, is it Hatoful Boyfriend, which is mm. essentially a pigeon dating simulator. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just odd stuff that comes out of the country. Weird, brilliant stuff most of the time, but again, from a Western perspective, just culturally bizarre. Yeah, and some, like you say, seeped in. So the JRPGs are more... It's just yeah. standard gaming now for us, isn't it? Whereas before it was a bit... you If you played those games, you were into more niche games than, than the rest of the population. But now that's just a thing. Final Fantasy in particular did that, I expect. Yeah. But they're, they're quite common now. But then you see some games that come over from Japan. I can't remember the name of it. And I'm not... I will preface this by saying I'm not even 100% sure it's Japanese. But looking at it, I'm 99% sure... There's a game that I've seen people playing on YouTube where you're on an island populated with really attractive young women in not many clothes, and you try and capture them and their breasts inflate until they float into the sky and burst. Now, if that doesn't sound Japanese, I don't know what does. But safe yeah. to say that's not made it mainstream over here yet. No, and you get stuff like Catherine... Um, mm. There was a game that the sort of again pseudo RPG that was about a bloke not wanting to commit to a relationship, and again it was a bit weird because you had dreams about being a sheep, and you were being <laughs> chased by a girl with a, a hungry, b- <laughs> basically her <laughs> just wanted to eat you. And again, it's one of those things. It's just like, where did this come from? <laughs> Whose mind came up with this? And that's not to say that the Western world isn't as weird. No. We we grew up on Newgrounds, didn't we? And some of the stuff that got put on Newgrounds, <laughs> what they were smoking, I honestly don't know, because it, it one, it didn't make any sense. And two, it was just like, again, you'd look at it and go, where did this come from? Like, what, what issues do these people have that has led them to create this media that we're consuming? But then we just enjoyed it anyway. So it is one of those cultural things. I know what you mean, and... It didn't take anything away from the game for me, but and I wish I had played it with the Japanese voices and the dub. I think I would have probably enjoyed that slightly more, but it wouldn't have taken away the horrific controls and the boring storyline and all the. I mean, if you made this into a film, which I'm surprised they haven't yet, because they've made everything else into a film, it would be terrible. No one would watch this film yeah. if this was a plot of a film, because you're taking out the only thing that makes it remotely interesting is that you're in control of this film, and even then, that's a chore. Maybe I would enjoy a film more. At least I wouldn't have to focus on it as much then. I, I believe that Adult Swim did an anime version of it. Well, I mean, Adult yeah. Swim are weird anyway, so that probably matches <laughs> up with the tone. Um, but yeah, they they did, in conjunction with Sega, they, they did a, an anime version of it. It must have been 20 minutes long, to be honest with you, because the f- <laughs> plot goes nowhere. <laughs> If they condensed it down into like all three games into an hour, it might not be that bad because you just get the speed of the plot going through. But in, yeah, it's just, I mean, we, I used to work with a guy who um, was a massive Dreamcast fan and therefore also loved Shenmue. And I mean, we like Dreamcast. We've always said it's before it's time, it should have done a lot better than it did. There's a, some really good games on it, not many, but there are some. And I don't love this game, but he did. And he actually, he lent me a big stack of demo discs. I remember when I first got my second Dreamcast. He's like, oh, Shenmue's on the second one. Make sure you play that. And I didn't, obviously. But he was really singing its praises. And he's like, yeah, I used to spend hours on the forklift bit. He was the one that said that. And I just thought, why? 
what has this game got over you? What is what is its grip on you? When you could play like Power Stone or House of the Dead or Jet Set Radio or I mean even Choo Choo Rocket's more enjoyable than this and that is that came free, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd rather play that. Yeah, ex- I think I said to you that um when you first started playing it that people say it's one of the best games of all times. It wasn't even the best game on the Dreamcast. So how it can be the best game of all time when it wasn't even up top 10 in terms of the Dreamcast, because that had some knockout titles on it. It just was cr- massively under uh, underrepresented and underappreciated. But then that was Sega's fault for trying to force it out too early uh, to yeah, try they... and compete with the N64. And they went all in on the online stuff, didn't they? Which... Yeah was ahead of its time again, but didn't work back then because we were all on dial-up, so you couldn't really <laughs> play games against each other. Not not like Choo Choo Rocket you could because it wasn't intensive, was it? But can you imagine trying to play, like, I don't know, Power Stone on a dial-up connection and, and just the amount so of lag that you get? Yeah, no one would ever connect to move because you'd, you'd be on one side of the screen and the next thing you'd be on the other side of it and <laughs> you'd be jumping past each other. But... Yeah, I just don't get it. I don't get the hype. I don't get the investment people have in it. And maybe it is a time period thing for me, but then you played it when it came out and you didn't like it. So I don't know. I just can't fathom it. I I can only assume that the, the people who like it must have nostalgia goggles the size of dustbin lids because <laughs> I have nostalgia for stuff from that time period. And I can comfortably look back at stuff like Ocarina now and go, yeah, the graphics haven't aged particularly well. The gameplay is a bit cack-handed and there isn't a jump button. And I can look back and see where it's come to now and the steps Zelda has made and changed in its overall look and feel. And I can go, yeah, do you know what? If I had this back then... I'd probably be even more blown away than I was by Ocarina because mm. the changes that have made. But to not change anything for 20 years across three games and about four generations of consoles and still think, oh, the original's still fantastic and not be saying it ironically or with a little bit of cynicism in your heart going, it, it was good, but it isn't that good now. I think is odd. I'd like to see somebody who loved it back then play it in front of me now. With the same control methods, given they've had all these years to play other games and get more used to the newer way of controlling games, I'd love somebody who goes, I absolutely love Shenmue. It's one of my favourite games of all time. It's an absolute masterpiece. I haven't played it for years, but I do love it. To go, right, here's Shenmue. There's your Dreamcast controller. You show me how well that plays, because I bet they change their opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's painful to play it, and I know that sounds harsh, but it just is. Like at least we we slated Pac Man and Tetris, but at least they they aren't difficult to play, and they don't tax you as much because it's not taxing in a, a way of a like oh this is quite a complex game and it's taxing me because i don't know what to do next and i need to figure it out it's taxing in the fact of it's going to take me 10 minutes to run to the other side of town where i need to meet someone in the next 
half an hour. And if I don't, I've got to wait like a full day and a half before they're going to appear again. And I'm not going to be able to get there because his run cycle is really weird and it looks like he's moving quickly, but actually he's not moving quickly at all. And he'll just bang into every corner of the street and building and everything else on the way. It's like it's it's just a chore to try and enjoy it. And I just I don't think anyone could in this day and age. No. Another game that springs to mind with the pacing is Akami. So everyone again, beautiful game. Really gen- the art style in it is fantastic. The storyline is bizarre and very Japanese because it's based on Japanese Shinto gods and stuff like that, so very weird. But everyone always complains about how the pacing of the plot is languid, to use a nice word. What they mean is slow as balls. And it's... I would go back and I can play Okami. The story and the pacing rubs up against the nerves a little bit when I get into it a little bit, because around the halfway mark, it just sort of stutters and then goes... Uh, oh, that boss that you fought earlier. Oh, you need to go fight him again. I, I don't know why, but you just need to go fight him again. And then you end up repeating and going back to old areas and you don't really need to. But I will comfortably go back and play Akami. They did the remaster, went back, enjoyed it. But I, I would struggle to go back and even attempt to play this because I remember disliking it at the time. And I'm not a huge fan of martial arts dramas. It, it's not my thing. Um, I've seen stuff like, you know, Enter the Dragon and things like that, and it just doesn't hit me in the feels like it does for some people. And this is just a really slow, boring version of Enter the Dragon with someone that keeps pausing the game, pausing the film every 30 seconds to hit me in the knee with a rock. I mean, I think it sort of reinforces what we're saying in that the retro gaming magazines put it third. Out of 100 games, it thinks that this is the third most crucial game to play before you die. It won't reveal what one and two are because we've not done either of them and we will get to them. But even putting it out third, they've put this sentence in the little write-up. It's a game that moves at a sedate pace, one which allows some players to appreciate the detailed world in full, but strikes others as ponderous. So the third best game ever, in their opinion, they're also saying... Some people don't like this because it's slow and rubbish. So even they're acknowledging that it's got these big faults to it, but still managed to somehow put it third. I just don't get it. But we've we've managed to get 50 minutes out of Shenmue 1 and 2, (laughs) which I never, ever... And we have got other stuff to talk about. So let's get this banged into the book, and we will then discuss other matters that are more important and, and, and more cheerful. So we'll bring it up. I mean, I don't, I can't remember what the lowest score we've given is now. It's like forty odd. Yeah, something like that. And I, I don't even know if there's an argument to put this higher than that because I disliked it so much. I'd, I'd rather play Tetris and Pac-Man. Yeah, exactly, and and I don't want to play them. Yeah. So we gave Tetris, we gave Tetris a thirty-five, and we gave Pac-Man a forty-seven. Now, if if we're doing it purely on what we would like to actually sit down and play, I'd be giving this like a 5 or a 10. That is literally how low I would go with this. If we're also bringing in the influence it's had in gaming and the fact that other people like it and we don't and maybe it's just our opinion and all that other business, I think we've got to give it slightly more. Because it was 
for all its faults, they did do a lot with it on the hardware that they were on. Yeah. And I know they had to split it onto three discs, which is sort of cheating. Because then it's technically three bang average games rather than one really impressive one. But yeah, they it was ambitious and they did sort of achieve what they were aiming for, even though we don't like it. So I suppose you've got to give them that respect, but not much in my opinion. And then you've got to take some points off for the fact that it invented it QTEs. So well, yeah. it probably ends up yeah. back down at a five again. <laughs> yeah. Can we put it at a five? Are we going to get lynched? <laughs> probably. I mean, if, if we wanted to be charitable, because I, I don't think anything's going to come worse than this. Not on, not on this list, no. Not on this list. There are games I can think of that would go below this. We've talked about one of them quite a bit on, on recent shows. <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- there's not uh, nothing on this list I can think that would ever go below this. And and e- to say they've yeah. put it at a three is just... I feel like we don't know something that everyone else does. Yeah, I, I think we may have missed the boat when we were younger and to play mm. it, but I, I did play it when I was younger and I didn't enjoy it then. <laughs> yeah. um, but... But I don't think there is any game on this list or the next couple of books that we will be looking at as once we've wound this list up that will come any worse than this. I would a game could open. I could open the case of a game and it could blow up in my face, and I would <laughs> probably have fonder memories of it <laughs> than this. And that is no hyperbole. I I have played some shit in my time where I have bought it on a whim, or I've thought, yeah, do you know what, I'll give this a go. And it's been cack. But nothing, literally, nothing ever gets as close to boiling my piss quite as much as this game does. I mean, I've just been sat thinking then, and I'm like, would I rather play Big Rigs or this? (laughs) And I can't decide. That's how bad it is. I, I honestly... This like Big Rigs has nothing going for it apart from the initial oh look how bad this is that you get when you play it and then it has nothing else going for it. But I don't know, it doesn't offend me as much as this does. I'd rather pe- play Ride to Hell. <laughs> I think because this has that reputation as well. Yeah. I was expecting more from it and then I played it and I just I can't get my head around it and I'm going to watch somebody play it on YouTube, like a Let's Play, just to see if I'm missing something or something happens where I think, oh, maybe I would have enjoyed that bit. But I'm not optimistic. The only thing that really, and this is bad, is motivating me to play it more, is to find out what happens to that cat in that box. Because that's the, that's the bit that gripped me the most out of all the storyline. I felt really sorry for that cat because its mum got run over. And I don't know what that says about me as a person when his dad got punched in the kidney and died but that's the only bit that, that is really and like yeah if i'd rather play a game a racing game where there's no racing in it with like big rigs it's what can i do for this and i thought shall we give it like 25 because then that's a quarter but then i thought that's too much given what we've said about it and then we'd be hypocritical if we don't give it a low score i'd, I'd be tempted to give it the score they gave it Three. Well, three. <laughs> you, I don't know if we three. can. 
I don't know if we can be that harsh. I mean, that, like, for me, anything under 10 is like a game that doesn't even function. And you could complete this, I suppose, if you really hated yourself and wanted to punish yourself for something you'd done. You could go start to finishing this. So I think we've got to give it at least, when you add in the ambition and the fact that it did sort of do what it aimed to do, I think you've got to give it at least a 15. And then it just... Depends if you want to give it any higher than that, because people will probably come after us if we give one of the most beloved Dreamcast games of all time a fifteen. What was what did you say we gave Tetris? Thirty-five. Give it a thirty, because then it's their number <sighs> times ten. It's I... more than I would have given it, but I'll go with that. We'll put it because it's both games combined, so maybe they got fifteen each, and, we, <laughs> and we've added them together. New rule for the list. So we'll go with 15 and get it out of the way, and I never want to see it again or talk about it again or hear the hear about the bloody black car driving through the snow that turned into rain. And Well, your Let's Play options are a seven-hour single video, which, given the plot we've just read out, is, oh, is unbelievable that they've managed... And I'm assuming <laughs> it's a quick play, so this person knows this game inside and out, and it's still seven hours to go from village to docks. Or there's a 29 video let's play of it. Oh, God. I, I cannot tell you how much I don't want to do that. Oh, hold on, I've just found a speed run. <laughs> oh, no, that's just for one part of the game. It says a 70-man battle speed run, and that's two and a half hours just for that bit of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I might put it on while I'm asleep and see if it bleeds in <laughs> into my subconscious while I'm asleep. But yeah, we'll have to see how it goes on that. So let's move on to other things. So before we speak about what Eddie's been playing this week, a little bit, because I don't know how much we can talk about, but we'll find out. We've just got a little little announcement to make, or some, well, something to talk about more than an announcement. So it's more for listeners who are in the local vicinity of in and around where we are from, so the South Yorkshire area. In Doncaster, the Doncaster sort of council have put on an event at the Doncaster Dome, which starts on the 16th of January, and it's running until the 14th of April. So it's on for a long time, and you've got plenty of time to go to this. And it's called Game On, and it's a sort of a mixture between a retro... So like the retro arcade thing we did an episode on way back, where you go and pay so much money and you can... To go and play on a load of old arcade cabinets and stuff. It's sort of 60-70% that, and then you're looking at maybe 30% history of gaming, and there'll be little bits of information scattered around, and you can learn about the progression of gaming and see some old computer technology and find out where things came from to where they are today. So a bit of a gaming museum, sort of, I suppose, in inverted commas, and then also a place where you can just go and kick back and play some really old retro games. I think they might even have a Shenmue on. I wouldn't advise going near it, but there's a couple of videos on Facebook. If you search for the uh, game on at Doncaster, they'll come up and you can see what they're setting up there. It looks amazing. We've been asked to go along and check it out. So we will be visiting. We're not quite sure when, but we will be visiting and going and having a look at what they've got on offer, playing some retro games, hopefully playing a couple of the games that are on the list that we've not been able to play yet in their original cabinet form, which will be cool. And we will then probably do a couple of episodes talking about our experience and, and how good it was. 
and whether we'll be going back because as i say it's on for four months so you, if you enjoy it you can go back it's not even that expensive i mean it's 17 pound for an adult ticket when you add in booking fees and everything 12 pound for a children's and you can get a family one it's about 35 i think that that covers two adults two kids so not the most expensive thing to do and there looks to be absolutely loads in there to enjoy so we will report back once we've been we're hoping to get there next week at some point or maybe the week after but yeah we just thought we'd mention that because we've uh, we spoke to the guys who've organized it and they're really passionate about gaming and it, it does come through when you see what they're setting up i mean the amount of crt tvs they've managed to wrangle together i don't even know how they've managed that because they're a bit of a dying breed now aren't they but they've got loads of them set up with consoles attached and and all that and i assume there'll be some light gun games because if you've got crt tvs you can play light gun games can't you so we might actually get to play house of the dead in its original glory which we're not we can't do anymore yeah if you're in and around doncaster i mean even if you're not that close it, it it really sounds like something worth traveling for because you get in this mixture of all these retro games, but then you're also getting the the history of and, and learning where it all came from. So we'll keep you updated on that. But that's the Game On event in, at the Doncaster Dome. Give that one a Google. The website actually is uh, dclt.co.uk, so you can go on there and check that out. Book your tickets if you want to attend. And yeah, as I say, we'll report back when we've been. But moving on, Eddie's been lucky enough to play a competent game this uh, this past week while I was struggling my way through Shenmue. So you finally got around to trying Inscription. I did, yes. I regret not buying it, to be fair, because it just popped up on my PS Plus subscription um, as a new game to download and play, and I was like, oh, Jay recommended that highly a couple of episodes back. I will give that a go because it's not something that's ever... It wasn't even something I was conscious of. I know I'd seen it a few times. And then I have this unfortunate habit of seeing a game on the PS Store or the Xbox Store and I go, ooh, that looks good. Open it and go, eh, close it down again and bugger (laughs) off and have a look at something else. Because it's not the most aesthetically pleasing game if you look at stills. There are plenty of people out there who will be guilty of this, of seeing a game thinking the premise sounds good or the initial like front cover, in inverted commas, looks good or it's interesting. And then they look at the screen grabs of it and they go, oh, that's not what I wanted from that. And I am massively guilty of this. And I will hold my hands up and I say, I genuinely regret having that sort of level of animosity towards Inscription. Because I looked at it and went, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, the especially where the game starts. And again, we'll skirt around too many spoilers. But if you are actually wanting to play Inscription and get the full experience of out of it, I will say this is the end of this episode of the podcast. Goodbye. You might want to stop listening now. And we'll talk about Inscription from this point on. If you're not that bothered or you don't think it'll ruin it for you, then we are going to be talking spoilers, I expect. So this is your warning. If you want to cut it off now, no ill will. I'll say goodbye from me. That's goodbye from Eddie. And and just treat this as the end of the episode. But yeah, the initial bit of inscription looks grubby and a bit dirty and not the best graphics. And you look at it and go, what the hell is this? And it looks like it's essentially just a card game. 
yeah. which doesn't if you're not into deck builders it wouldn't grab you immediately and if you're not into deck builders you're probably not going to enjoy the whole game but there's more to it than that isn't there and it does become more than what it appears at first glance yeah um i mean i i'm not sure what was wrong with me when i initially saw it because i love deck building games but i to be fair, I prefer the physical side of it, so I enjoyed the deck building in real life. So I like having the physical cards and being able to make decks and stuff like that. Seeing the cards flipped on screen and stuff like that, it usually leaves mm. me pretty cold. Um, I tried the Pokemon TCG online, mm. didn't really get on with it. I've tried Yu-Gi-Oh! ones when they brought them out, didn't really get on with them. I've bought every single one, but then after about a week gone, meh. I've got the actual cards. I, if I want to play it, I can go and buy the stuff rather than having to unlock the damn things. I've literally got collections yeah. of them upstairs. But there's something... It's almost like, although it's the primary method of progressing the game to play the card game, it seems like it's not vital. It's not the central focus of the game. And that's what yeah. gets you. Because it draws you in with this simple deck yeah. builder and then it just turns it on its head the card the play in the cards almost becomes a means to an end yeah when when you start playing it so i mean we are going to spoil a lot of it here so it, it starts off and you're in a cabin playing this game of cards with these grubby horrible cards there's a set of scales and essentially to win you need to hit your opponent with nothing in front of that of, of you enough times to weigh the scales in your favor and make them touch down on the other side. But the pieces that go in the scales are teeth, which at first you don't realize they're like gold teeth. And it just, and then the more you look into it, the creepier it seems. And like you get, um, you get certain aids. So you can have three aids at any one time in your hand. And one of them is usually a squirrel. So the squirrel card doesn't attack, but you have to sacrifice at least one squirrel to bring out a good card. So it's treated like mana, isn't it? But you have to actually play them on the board. And then like if you've got a good card like a wolf or something, it'll be two blood. So you'd have to sacrifice two other creatures to play that one. And you usually get one of those in your little reserve just in case you at any point desperately need extra resource. But then the other objects you get, like you get a pair of pliers. And it doesn't really explain what the players are for. But then when you use them, you pull out one of your own teeth and put it in the scale. So it gives you an extra point and it might just be the difference. And then there's there's other stuff that you can get that's a bit gruesome. And every time one of your cards dies, you get bones for it. And then certain cards you need bones to play instead of blood. So there's, there's quite, it's quite a hefty card mechanic. It it's not a slouch in terms of the card game they've built in it, is it? It it could stand alone on its own as a pretty decent trading card game. Yeah, and it's something that has surprised me that they've not done. Even as a sort of an indie project, someone has gone, approached them, sort of cap in hand and gone, we really like this, we want to make a game out of it. Because uh, the, the selection of cards is quite limited it most modern card games you get hundreds of thousands of cards uh, different unique types whereas this is quite a limited set but you could obviously build on it and you could add different rules mm. into it if you wanted to and make a a physical version of the game 
uh, like they did with Gwent for The Witcher. Mm. But I got ridiculously attached to my deck. Because <laughs> like, yeah. as, as you go through, you can upgrade individual cards. You can sacrifice certain low-level cards to sort of imbue another card with the ability that that card you sacrificed had. So I got one which was a... I think it was a cat. So mm. it had the ability to recur infinitely. So if you sacrificed it, it came back. If it got destroyed, it came back. And I ended up imbuing my weasel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With stoat, that ability... The stoat, sorry, yeah. With that recursion ability. And I, it, I is the first time you lose a meant-to-lose um... of the game... I expect you're expected to lose at least once, yeah, because I there's um once you finish the game, there's a, a mode in it called Casey's Mod, which is basically your your prolonged life out of the game. And it's the same, it's just the first phase of the game playing the first initial part of it, but you play it at random so the bosses generate randomly rather than in the, se- the sequence that you're on and you have to each time you beat it add a new sort of negative on to carry on so it might be that you only get two card choices instead of three or you don't start with the fisherman's hook stuff like that and then every time you beat it a new one of them unlocks and you have to add more of them to then progress you can still play it with none of them on if you want but to get progression and i have been playing that for nearly a year that mode and i've beaten it twice so you're not expected to win this game very often. You have to really, not just lucky, but you have to have got your strategy down. I mean, I got lucky the first time I beat the first phase. I got a Mantis King. So the Mantis King attacks in three directions. So I got a Mantis King and I upgraded it on campfires quite a lot. So it was doing five damage every hit. And then I also put some sort of, I think I put the thing on it where it will... Is it like flying? So it attacks over yeah. other cards. So it doesn't damage them. It just damages. So as soon as I got that Mantis card out, it was game over because it would do three hits no matter what that were all worth more than enough to win the battle. So that's how I managed to sort of fluke through the first portion of the game. But even then, even if you get a card that's as OP and as high powered as that, if it doesn't come out of the deck, you're going to yeah. struggle. And there's certain bosses that you will fight where they do two phases, and at the end of the first phase, they'll wipe out anything you've got on in play, or they'll steal whatever you've got in play, or something like that. So you can't ever go, right, I've got this one card, and it's just going to blast me through the whole game. Because if you focus all your energy on one card, and you don't build the rest of your deck, there's going to become a point where either it doesn't come out, or it comes out and then they steal it and then it's attacking you and you're screwed. So you really do have to balance it. And I just sort of got lucky. But there's a mechanic in it, isn't there, where when you die, you get turned into a card. Yeah. So he will take a photo of you and you become like a silhouette that can then come out randomly in the game, be it in your hand or their hand. And it, it sort of copies down a couple of random characteristics, doesn't it, from your hand your whole deck so it might be that sometimes you get one that is crap like it'll copy like one health one attack and no power-ups and then that's rubbish but then sometimes it might take eight eight attack 
from one of your highest rated cards, eight defense, and then only one blood to play it. And then that card is stupidly powerful if it ever comes out, but there's a chance you'll never see it. So it's just, it's really clever in how it does it. And then, I mean, how long did it take you before you realized you could get up from the table? Um, Quite a while. Um, he does ask you to go and pick something up, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, the bloat, well, the, whatever it is, sat opposite you because it is not a person. I can comfortably <laughs> state that for the limited time I've had with the game. But he asks you to go and pick something up and then says, don't touch the rest of my stuff. Mm. So I started looking around the room at all the other stuff that was in there, all the interactable objects. And I was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, do I want to touch it though? Because he sat there and he said, don't touch my stuff. So I was a bit hesitant at first, and I was like, if I get a game over, I get a game over. I need to try this stuff. And it was the the, the first puzzle in the game where you get a mm. card. And I was like, oh, oh, that's quite interesting. That's that's a unique way of doing it. And then I started going around and doing all the other little bits in the room yeah. around him and trying to avoid massive spoilers for the stuff that you have to do. But you do pick up other cards that can talk. So yeah, main... they're sentient. Like sentient yeah. cards, isn't there? That that are part of the plot line, which will give exposition and stuff, and get annoyed if you sacrifice them and stuff like that. But yeah, there's there's way more to it than initially you think. So as I say, you can get up from the table and explore the little cabin that you're being held hostage in, and there's little slidey puzzles to do, and and there's like there's a clock on the wall which you at some point have to figure out what time to set it to to get something out of there and. I won't go too deep into it, but I take it you're still in the cabin. Yes. Yeah. Right. I'll say. I've, I'll say no more then. I think I have just got to the um, prospector. Okay, so you're on the first boss. Yes. Pretty much just got to the first boss. You've got a way to go and a lot to reveal, so I won't say any more than that. But yeah, I. I at the point, at the minute, I can assume you're appreciating it quite a lot. And yeah. all I'll say is you will appreciate it a lot more eventually. But that is literally all I will say. So, yeah, I've, um, it might even be something maybe I'll come over to yours and we'll play it together because I'd like to see your experience firsthand when certain things start to start to happen in it. So, okay. yeah. so yeah, we, we won't say any more on it because I don't want to ruin it for Eddie. Uh, but if you're listening out there, we've not really spoiled too much. So if you want to go out and get it, it's not even that expensive to pay for on Steam anymore. It's it's pretty cheap on Steam, I think. And you can even get a bundle with two of the guys' other games. I think one's called Pony Island, which is, again, one of those subvert your expectations type things. And there's a third one, and I haven't played either of the other two yet, and I really should because I love this one. I even went and bought the special edition. So they did like a limited run print of it in America and it comes in a bear tin so the tin is the bear card and then it looks really cool and I think they only made like 2,000 of them and I paid a fortune for it but I was like as soon as I saw they were doing a physical release I was like I need to have this in my collection so I've got one of them and I'm I'm glad I did I think I got the Switch version because I was just like well of all the versions that are going to hold value Switch is probably more than the other two but yeah we will probably leave it there then so that's Shenmue out of the way thank god it's only been a year coming, almost. <laughs> Until the next day, I'll do the Patreon shout-outs, actually. The New Year's Patreon shout-out. So we have got, in the couple of coins here, we've got Lee this week. 
in the Bucket Geeketeer, we've got the Sweaty Llama and Ric Flair. I had to think about that because I didn't know what moniker he was going under at the minute. And in the Avatarnished tier, we think we've got Atropos, but Patreon's doing its usual thing of just randomly removing people and adding them back on. So I think he's still there, uh, to the best of my knowledge. So yeah, thank you to all our Patreons. Thank you to everyone who listened last year and who listened to the award show because it's done quite well, surprisingly well compared to what I thought it would do. So thank you for listening to that, even with my terrible audio ruining the whole thing. Until the next episode, I will say, have you seen the black car already? No, I haven't. I haven't seen the I haven't seen the black car. I think it's down by the docks though. I think there was something to do with a sailor. <laughs> it was it was on the day when the rain the snow changed to the rain. Did you not see it that day? Oh no, and anyway I need to go feed the cat I'm keeping in the shoebox <laughs> under the bed. <laughs> So that's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.